Well, this is the last of our sermons in talking about pillars of unity. You'll recall that we spoke about three Sundays back about how important scripture was. Just like the pillars that hold up a stool, you know, milking stool with three legs, unless you have all three, uh, the stool can't stand. Unless you have all three of these, your faith is not going to be complete and you're not going to be able to be in accord with others in the Christian faith. Because looking back at scripture, just want you to, first of all, just remember some of the things that our founder, John Wesley, said about scripture. He said, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He hath written it down in a book. And then he says, oh, give me that book. Let me be homo unius libri, which means a man of one book. Here then I am, far from the busy ways of men. I sit down alone. Only God is here. In his presence I open, I read his book for this end to find the way to heaven. Later, he wrote on August the 24th, 1776, Nay, if there be any mistakes in the Bible, there may as well be a thousand. If there be one falsehood in that book, it did not come from the God of truth. John Wesley, when he said he was a man of one book, it didn't mean he never read other books. It meant that this is the book that he lived from. This is the book that he drew his life from. This is the book in whose light all other books were discerned and looked at. He wrote many books, but this was the book that underscored it all. To him, this was and is God's word. And if we have come to the place where we receive this as God's word, not just something inspired by, by God like a, uh, a novel or something, but as his word, then when we hear these words that we hear today, that Jesus speaks in the 14th chapter of John, they can be and they are the most thrilling words that anyone could ever hear. Because here Jesus is telling his disciples that uh, I'm going to go away and don't worry about it. Don't worry about it because I'm going away to get things ready. I'm going away to get things ready for you. And then you get to be with me. He goes on and he talks about, you know, the way where I'm going. And Adam says, we don't know the way. And he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by me. Do we take these words as the very word of God? If we do not, we are treading on dangerous ground. If we do, if we do 
take these as the words of God, then we have peace because we know if we're saved, if we have given ourselves to him, then we have a reservation. We have a reservation in heaven. Sharon and I made two trips uh, just recently, and I got burned one time. We were going to California, and we decided we'd just pull over and check into a hotel whenever we got tired. And so we drove and drove and drove. We got to El Paso. You know, they say the sun has risen, the sun has set, and here we is in Texas yet. Well, we made it all the way across, and we were there, and we started looking for a hotel. They were all full. We could not find, and we, it was such a long thing. Here we are, tired, and we're just going from hotel. There was no room in the inn, no room at the inn. I really empathized with Joseph and Mary that night whenever they were looking for a place to stay. There was no room in the inn all the way through El Paso, and you don't realize how big El Paso can actually be until you're jumping from hotel to hotel trying to find a place. And we didn't, we got through El Paso back on the road. We hotel jumped all the way to Las Cruces, New Mexico before we found a place. It was like two o'clock in the morning and we had started early. Oh, we were tired. So I have never wanted that to happen again. And I'm sure it probably bugs Sharon because I try to always make sure we have a reservation. So whenever we made these two trips, whenever we went to Tyler, there was a room waiting for us there. When we went to Shreveport the other day, there was a room waiting for us there. We already had our reservation. And this is just it. If we have been saved, we know we have our reservation. Jesus said he's got our room ready for us. And that is a joy to know, to have that peace that we're not going to wind up there at the door and having our Lord say, sorry, no room for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't that way, I would have told you. Here he is. He's saying, I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. And then he goes on. And when he's talking about the way to the father, he says, I am the way. And then what of says, I think it was Philip says, show us the father and that'll be enough. Let us see God. And Jesus, I'm sure he smiled when he said, have I been with you so long, Philip? And you still don't know me? He said, don't you know that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? And so here we have God himself telling us how to get our reservation. Do you see that? And he says that it's only through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has made the way. He has made the reservation. But do you know what the most politically incorrect statement uh, of all is today? Are you ready for this? Here it is. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. People would just, they just gasp whenever somebody says that today. Even the mere hint of this causes most Americans to cringe 
and to shudder. Many Americans become irate over this declaration. They will spew forth accusations such as intolerant, narrow-minded, arrogant, hateful, and bigoted. It appears that the greatest atrocity in today's culture is not theft, is not rape, is not murder. It is intolerance. People are willing to tolerate just about anything except one that claims to be uniquely true. Today, although 83% of people in the United States claim to be Christians, only 12%, can you believe that? Only 12% claim that their religion is the only true faith. So when Jesus utters these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He is speaking to about 226 million people in the United States who claim to be his followers, but don't believe what he says. He is speaking directly to them. In fact, he starts off, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And this is the dividing line. Believe in God, believe also in me. Because we have a whole lot of people that name the name of Jesus, that call themselves Christian, that don't believe him. They believe in God, they try to be good, and they hope that they're going to go to heaven. And I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, preacher, you know, we're all trying to get the same place, ain't we? And uh, I've got to say, I'm not trying anymore. I don't have to try. I have a reservation. <clears throat> My room is ready. There's such a thing as the believer's rest. It's covered in Hebrews, the third and fourth chapters, to where we realize we don't have to strive anymore. That all we have to do is come to the Lord Jesus in faith. And yet there's so many people that, that wind up in utter confusion. And you know, whenever there's confusion about your future, there's no peace. And Jesus later on in the same passage says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. And whenever we believe that this is God talking, he's talking to us, and we get beyond just believing in God, but also believing in Jesus, we have a peace. But that peace isn't going to come and I think that that's why there is so much turmoil in the churches today. In denomination after denomination, there is turmoil because they haven't settled on God's word being God's word. And they haven't settled on Jesus being the only way. And until we get there, we're not going to have peace. Well, this claim is controversial for a reason. An author by the name of Lee Strobel says that the reason why 
This claim that Jesus is the only way is so controversial is because it strikes at the heart of three great myths about religion. First, that all religions are basically the same. Next, that Christianity is just one philosophy among many. And that Christians are narrow-minded to think that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I want us to look at these quickly this morning. First of all, the first myth is that all religions are basically the same. Now, you've probably heard people say through the years that there may be distinctions between various world religions, but if you strip them down to their essentials, all religions are fundamentally the same. They teach the same thing. In other words, all spiritual paths lead up the same mountain because all religions basically teach the brotherhood and sisterhood of men and women and the universal fatherhood of God. It's true that there's some common ground shared by many of the world's religions, especially when you look uh, at the level of basic values and statements. Uh, uh, a case in point is uh, that both Judaism and Christianity shared the Ten Commandments as a foundation for values, and the Quran embraces all ten of these principles. I just checked it out yesterday. All ten of these principles, although it doesn't formally codify them in the same way that they are in our Bible. But at the same time, there are huge differences between the world religions that cannot be papered over. In fact, with this one outlandish assertion that Jesus makes, Jesus boldly puts Christianity in a class by itself. Because if the path to God is through Jesus then Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion. The uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus himself. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to find the truth. But Jesus says, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me. And I'll show you the way to salvation. But Jesus says, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how you can become enlightened. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Do you see the difference? There are drastic and irreconcilable differences between Christianity and all other belief systems. Every other religion is based on people doing things through their struggling and through their striving to earn the good favor of God. They say people have to use a Tibetan prayer wheel If you've never checked up on Tibetan prayer wheels, I encourage you to do so. It's fascinating just to see what they think is going to bring you into connection with God. Uh, Or they have to go on pilgrimage, or they have to give alms to the poor, 
or they have to avoid eating certain foods or they have to perform a certain number of uh, good deeds or they have to pray in a certain way facing a certain direction or they have to go through a cycle of reincarnation. These are attempts to reach out to God. But Jesus Christ is God reaching out to us. Jesus taught the opposite of what those other faiths teach. He said that nobody could do anything to merit heaven, so you might as well stop trying. He said we're all guilty of wrongdoing, and that's consistent with our experience. We know that not a single person here today could claim to be perfect. Jesus also said that our wrongdoing separates us from our God because God is holy and perfect because God is a righteous judge who by his very nature must judge our wrongdoing. Our wrongdoing must be paid for because he loves us because Jesus and God are for us and not against us. Jesus voluntarily offered himself as our substitute to pay the penalty that we owe because of our wrongdoing. When we receive his sacrifice on our behalf, when we personally appropriate the cross, we become reunited with God forever. This distinction is demonstrated pretty well by comparing a parable that was taught uh, by Jesus with a similar story that was found um, in Buddhist literature. Both stories involve sons who become rebellious and leave home in a huff, but who later saw the error of their ways and decided to come home. But it's the ending of the two stories that so clearly points out the difference. In the Buddhist story, the errant son is required to work off the penalty for his past misdeeds through years and years of servitude. But the Christian parable of the prodigal son ends with the repentant son being warmly welcomed home by a loving father who showers him with undeserved forgiveness and undeserved grace. What a difference. There are other fundamental differences. For instance, Christianity says that there is one eternal God who created the universe. But Hinduism says that everything is God. You are God. I am God. This podium is God. Whatever this bug crawling on my face. What is that? Is that a, is it a ladybug or a wasp? You can't see it? It must be a ladybug. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Uh, Islam denies that Jesus was God and that Jesus died for our sins. All religions are not the same. While other religious leaders can offer wise sayings and helpful advice and insights, only Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, is qualified to offer himself as payment for our wrongdoing. No other religious leader even pretended to be able to do that. Theologian R.C. Sproul puts it this way, Moses could mediate the law, 
Muhammad could brandish a sword. Buddha could give personal counsel. Confucius could offer wise sayings. But none of these men was qualified to offer an atonement for the sins of the world. Jesus alone was qualified. The second myth that Jesus dispels is related to the first. The second myth says that even though Christianity might be different, it's just one philosophy among many. And it's only as valid as any other religion. In other words, even if there are differences between religions, they all have equal claims on the truth. You have your truth, and I have my truth. And this myth is very appealing because it seems to reflect the pluralistic attitude of the United States today. We were walking around a store the other day, and there, beautifully uh, done up, were the words, in a, in a painting, were the words, what is your truth? It's a popular thing. Your truth and my truth, not the truth. On one level, that attitude is, is helpful because you see it's important that we are tolerant of people who believe differently than we do. The Bible tells us that those of us who are followers of Jesus need to be loving and respectful and accepting toward people of all faiths. Under our Constitution, all religious viewpoints are equally protected, and anybody can believe whatever they want. But the problem is that some people jump to the erroneous conclusion that because different philosophies are equally protected, they must be equally valid. And that's just not the case. The concept behind what our Supreme Court calls the marketplace of ideas is that truth and falsehood will grapple in unhindered debate so that truth will prevail in the end. So even though all religions are equally protected under our Constitution, this has nothing to do whatsoever with whether they are based on truth. Of course, this gives anybody in the country the freedom to make the claim, as Jesus did, that they are the way, the truth, and the life, that they are the only way to God. The question is, how do we know that Jesus was telling the truth? Well, Jesus backs up his claim with unique credentials. Jesus authenticated his claim of being God by living a perfect life, by embodying the attributes of God, and by fulfilling dozens of prophecies written hundreds of years before he ever came on this planet. Unlike other religious leaders, Jesus also authenticated who he was by performing great miracles in broad daylight in front of skeptics. He demonstrated his mastery over nature. He demonstrated his mastery over sickness. He demonstrated his mastery over death by raising Lazarus back to life after four days in a cold, damp tomb. And then in the most spectacular demonstration, the one that we're moving towards celebrating in this season, 
the most spectacular demonstration of his deity. He fulfilled his own prediction by being resurrected from the dead. An historical event that was witnessed by more than 500 people and that sparked a spiritual revolution that has been unparalleled in the history of the world. You see, Christianity is not just a philosophy. It is a reality. Jesus didn't just claim he is the one and only son of God. He validated his claim with convincing evidence like no one else ever in history. The third myth says that Christians are narrow-minded and snobbish when they say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. If there were many roads to God and Christians were claiming ours is the best, I would agree that they were being narrow and arrogant. But that's not what Christians are saying. They are saying that somebody has got to pay the penalty for the obvious wrongdoings that keep us separated from God. By virtue of his sinless life and by virtue of his divinity, Jesus is the only one qualified to be our substitute. And that, brothers and sisters, is the reality of the situation. It is not narrow-minded to act in accordance with the evidence and to pursue the truth. Many years ago, I'm not going to say how many, our daughter Erin was born. And when she was born, they did a test called the Billy Rubin test, and they discovered that she was jaundiced. And she was having a, a yellowish uh, uh, color come to her skin. Her eyes, the whites of her eyes were turning yellow. And of course, uh, uh, we were concerned. Erin had just been born, and we're, we were told that jaundice was a uh, potentially devastating disease, but it, that it was also easily cured. All they had to do was put our baby under a special light that stimulates healthy liver function. And we could have listened to this and said, that just sounds too easy. Just put her under a light. What if instead we, we just uh, scrub her with soap and water and soak her in lemon juice? You know, I mean, certainly if we worked hard enough, we could get her normal coloring back. And the nurses and the doctors would have said, you don't understand. There is only one way to cure your daughter. And we could have replied, what if we just ignore all this and pretend everything's okay? The jaundice is your truth, medical people. It's not our truth. If we sincerely believe that, things will turn out for the best in the long run. And then they would have told us, you're going to jeopardize the life of your child if you do that. There's only one way to cure her, and it's very simple. You're hesitant to pursue treatment because it sounds too easy. But look, We've used what we've learned to treat and to cure countless babies. Trust us. Would anybody accuse us of being narrow-minded if we trusted a doctor with credentials and pursued the only course of treatment that was going to cure our little girl? Of course not. That is not being narrow-minded. That is acting rationally 
and in accordance with the evidence. Well, we took their recommendation and Aaron was put under that special light with some cute little dark little sunglasses on, little bitty newborn baby wearing sunglasses. And she was just fine. And she's now a beautiful, vibrant young lady. Every person in this room has a terminal illness called sin. The reason those of us who follow Jesus cling to him so tightly is that he is the great physician who has the only cure. We could try to scrub away our sins with good deeds, but it's not going to work. We can sincerely think that there are other ways of dealing with it, but we would be sincerely wrong. The truth is that only the great physician offers a treatment that will erase the stain of sin. He has credentials and credibility to back him up. So when we turn to him, we're not being narrow-minded. We're acting rationally and in accordance with the evidence. In addition to not being narrow-minded, it is anything but snobbish for Christians to believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. For a Christian to act holier than thou is snobbish. But to believe that Jesus is the only way is not. Let's pretend that there are two country clubs. The first country club only admits people who have earned their membership. In order to get into this club, you have to obtain uh, superior wisdom. You have to fulfill long lists of demands. You've got to somehow attain a certain level of spiritual enlightenment. You've got to go through cycles of reincarnation or whatever. Despite their best efforts, many people are not going to make the great. And in the end, the door will be slammed in their face. They're not going to be good enough. They're not going to fulfill the qualifications to get in. This is what other religions are saying whenever they teach that people have to try and try to work their way to God. But Christianity is different. Christianity is like the country club that invites anyone who is interested because Jesus has already paid for his or her membership. Rich or poor, black or white, red, yellow or brown, regardless of your ethnic heritage, regardless of where you live, we would love to include you. The doors are wide open. Entry is not based on your qualifications. Entry is based only on your accepting Christ's invitation. Which faith system is snobbish, do you think? Christianity is unique. It will never and can never be reconciled with any other religion. It backs up its truth claims with the credentials and credibility of Jesus which cannot be duplicated by any other spiritual leader. And that's why when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, history doesn't laugh. History has been revolutionized by Jesus. I mentioned the the Billy Rubin test. We had another daughter, Amy, not Amy, Mary, Meredith, our daughter Mary, 
uh, whenever she was brought into Sharon, Sharon noticed that she was jaundiced. And she asked the nurses if uh, a Billy Rubin test had been, of course it has. Of course it has. We always do that. And then they looked and they'd not performed the test. And so then they stuck her under the light. And Mary's now a vibrant, beautiful young lady. She survived. Well, John in 1 John uh, gives us the Billy Rubin test for Christianity. He that hath the son, hath the son, hath life. He that hath not the son of God does not have life. That's the Billy Rubin test. He that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God does not have life. It all boils down to that. If we can agree on that, we're agreeing on God's word. And we can be united with each other. And if we agree on that and we act on that, we're united just not just with each other, but also with God. So I ask you this morning, do you have the Son of God? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.